This is Tech Refactored. I'm your host, Gus Hurwitz, the Menard Director of the Nebraska Governance and Technology Center at the University of Nebraska. Smith is a speculative artist, designer, and researcher who creates stories for film, stage, and immersive play. She is also a professor at the Johnny Carson Center for Emerging Media Arts at the University of Nebraska. This past fall, she launched an initiative called Flyover Fictions, in which she pairs designers, architects, and artists with scientists and engineers to develop short visual digital books that speculate about the nature of their work. This is the second of three discussions that we're having with Ash and some of the artists, scientists, and engineers who have been involved with this project. We'll start our discussion today with Ash to discuss the Flyover Fictions project and to introduce the pairing of artists and scientists that we'll then bring into our discussion. We'll then be joined by Andrea Gonzalez-Garan and Shannon Bartlett-Hunt to discuss their collaboration. You can learn more about Flyover Fictions and the Flyover Summit at www.flyoverfictions.com fictions. Ash, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Ash, for listeners who might have missed our previous discussions about Flyover Fictions and the Flyover Summit, can you just uh, take a minute to remind us what this project is and some of the interesting things uh, that happened during it? So in October of 2021, we hosted short talks featuring speakers and artists and guests from around the world. They presented their research on rural-urban automation and post-pastoral speculation. What does that mean? Really just what is the future of resources and allocations and infrastructure? And how do we define the rural? Thinking about questions like this and kind of really breaking that open. We even uh, pushed into outer space, considering rural as a, a space with low population density. So how could outer space also be a part of these conversations? Um, the second day of the summit was a world building workshop where we introduced a kind of methodology to co-construct worlds across the globe to think about rural urban futures. And we had speakers at the summit that ranged from everyone from, there was a talk by Franz Vanderdunk who spoke about alien lands, space mining and the law. And there was a, also, we had a a guest speaker, Amelia Winger Bearskin, who gave a talk about hopeful worlds and thinking about artificial intelligence and indigeneity. We also had speakers like Alex Rivera, who's a recent MacArthur Genius Award winner, um, who gave reflections on his film, Sleep Dealer, and talked about future projects. And then we also presented our Flyover Fiction series, which um, I think is what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, so with, with the flyover fictions, uh, you had paired together scientists and engineers with artists and creators to speculate about uh, what the future might be based upon the hard science and the creative realities. As the the architect of uh, this program, what was your approach to thinking about these pairings and putting uh, these artists and scientists together? Well, it really started uh, from having conversations here in Lincoln on the UNL campus with scientists and engineers, uh, and to really hear from them what's going on in their lab, gave a series of interviews where I asked a lot of what-if questions and kind of pushed to the edges or the boundaries of their research. I think a lot of, during the interview, I, I got a lot of feedback from scientists that they were enjoying that kind of big questions zoom out that they often 
don't necessarily get to do in their work where it gets really pretty hyper-focused. And so I started there and listening and thinking and, you know, I was really trying to curate a kind of series that was based around food, water, and energy and kind of creatively going about how those kind of three areas might look. And so I started with the scientists. And then we, Stephanie Sherman, my co-collaborator on this, uh, and I started thinking about people and networks and designers, artists, uh, as speculative designers that we know uh, across the globe and started considering who would be a good fit. And I think, you know, part of our considerations were, were, were to also want to leverage this amazing cutting edge research we have going on here in Lincoln, Nebraska, but how can we connect it to global audiences and how can we take the local and make it global through these kind of um, artist-scientist pairings and the co-creation of kind of speculative, as you said, creative worlds. So when you were thinking about these pairings, were you focused on uh, substantive compatibility or personality compatibility, or perhaps you actually wanted incompatibilities and, and frictions that would help kindle creative fires. That's really interesting. I mean, I think it was a, a, a series of uh, or a melange of all these things you just listed. But in the case of Par and Santosh, for example, it was very much about Par had um, also a rural upbringing in China. And I thought that that perspective was really interesting. And to, to think about the rural in China, coupled with the rural in the United States, with Shannon Bartelt Hunt and Andrea gonzalez Garan, they both had quite an interest in infrastructure. And, and particularly, really thinking about the way that we could redesign infrastructure. So I would say it's a combination, but also all three kind of people in the art design side had really strong visual skills and abilities. So I think that was also really important to start to think about how we translate this to non-expert audiences and really communicate the science and technology more widely. And how much guidance did you give the pairs? Sometimes creativity works best with constraints. Other times constraints can uh, stifle creativity. Yeah, it's a great question. I would say I really started off at a very yes and wide open kind of framework and really even suggested to the artist designers that if they might even just interpret existing research, you know, and not even some of the existing research is almost uh, science fiction in itself. However, they can also kind of push on that and kind of draw, extrapolate out and start um, imagining, you know, what if kinds of questions. And I would say as we started moving forward in the process, you know, I would be there to kind of bounce ideas off of and to kind of refine and re reiterate and as we started moving forward, we're definitely trying to kind of limit in and scope the kind of approach. But it definitely started off really big and wide and then kind of using a iterative design process started to kind of pare down into a single story. So you mentioned the uh, yes and approach, which is a very positive forward looking, let's keep moving uh, sort of approach. 
I wonder, were there any uh, roadblocks or frictions that came up that you had to work through? And I, I that this might sound like a, a negative sort of question, but if you're not hitting roadblocks or hitting walls, uh, you might not be pushing the outer boundaries. So I, I, I love finding where those tensions are. I think quite a few. One is we use the limitation of uh, COVID-19 and um, Zoom to do these kind of global pairings. However, in a different kind of situation, we would have been able to connect the pairings in person. And I think that would have you know, provided for a really rich or a different, let's just say different. Uh, I don't think it would have been necessarily better, but a different kind of interaction and um, collaboration. I would say some other areas where, you know, we hit some walls, so to speak, is I think sometimes the outer reaches of, you know, where you can get with with speculation and um, can get very abstract. At the same time, I wanted to encourage far-fetched ideas and kind of push out what could be. There, I think, still is a reigning in so that you're still communicating with an audience. And so I think finding that delicate balance of, of encouraging that kind of wild imagination, but then also grounding it enough so that you can follow a story and it can be impactful is a really delicate, you know, uh, striking point to aim for. So I think that was a challenge. So one thing that I wanted to mention is that um, oftentimes uh, science fiction authors or speculative designers really kind of hear about something going on in the lab and then they, you know, run, go off into their right computer and write about it. And I think part of what we were trying to get at is that kind of deeper dive. What happens when a writer, artist, designer actually spends more time and goes deeper with the research instead of just kind of using that seed as a jumping off point. And I, I hope that we got there through this, but hopefully we'll get to do another round and keep refining it. I, I, I love that so much. What, when, one of the things that I'm exploring with some colleagues and some of my own work is the relationship between policy-focused academics who are working in the policy area and journalists who are working in the policy area because where we talk about very similar issues but from very different perspectives and at different levels of granularity. And I, I think we both get it wrong and have so much to learn from the other's approach to how we approach ideas and what's the, the right level of depth that we need to get into. And th there's just such a, a rich amount of learning that can happen there between the fields on, on that sort of issue right there. Well, let's uh, turn now to Andrea and Shannon's Flyover Fiction collaboration. Andrea is a designer with a background in architecture and a focus in editorial innovation, experimental publishing, physical and online platforms, and cross-media formats. And Shannon is a professor and the department chair in the Department of Civil and Environmental Engineering here at the University of Nebraska. But Ash, before we're joined by Andrea and Shannon, can you tell us a little bit about their project and how you brought these two together? In the interview I did with Shannon, it was completely mesmerizing. Shannon made me fall in love with pipes and infrastructure in a whole new way. And so I wanted to, it was so vis visual, I wanted to work with a designer to bring that to life. Some of the questions we covered with Shannon were things like, what happens to your data when you flush the toilet. Um, that was a big jumping off point. We 
you know, so much of Shannon's research is about kind of using a core sampling in our water to, to test for things like COVID-19 or other kinds of infections. But that also, you know, is data and can tell things like who is um, using what kinds of drugs, et cetera. And so we got into this really great conversation about like that moment of like the flush and like where that kind of data uh, point goes, who owns it. So that was like a really big, like, oh, wow, the toilet and this like moment of, of data and brought up a lot of things for my science fiction brain. And meanwhile, I'm thinking about Andrea, who is an architect from Spain, who really likes to think about infrastructure. And I could just imagine her reimagining, you know, one of Shannon's charges was, can you believe our infrastructure hasn't been rethought or reimagined? you know, in terms of like what's the pipes underneath the ground that, that we all rely on so heavily. And so I started really thinking about that and, and uh, wanting to pair them together based on some of those conversations. And did you have any expectations for this collaboration going into it? The only expectation or that I had was um, really wanting Andrea to engage with this idea of the flush and to think about you know, connecting the dots between what Shannon is talking about with her own um, civil engineering work, work in sampling and collecting data around disease, but then also thinking about this kind of larger question of gut health or the the gut biome. And so what are, what is the connection? And, and it, it got, I think it got into a really interesting place. We were thinking about kind of a global gut health and an infrastructure that is an archaic infrastructure under underneath our, our cities, how it, they are all connected to our bodies. And was there anything in particular that surprised you about their collaboration or, or anything that delighted you about it? I thought that the way that Andrea really took Shannon's data and Shannon's drawings and Shannon's kind of ideas and really tried to integrate them into her own designs, I thought was really great. And you'll see in that that publication in particular, it's a very Nebraska kind of influenced drawings, the Platte River and other kinds of water infrastructures. And I thought that that was really interesting too. I, I didn't mention that earlier, but introducing people to Nebraska globally and, you know, to thinking about that, this place as a site and a research site. Thank you uh, for this introduction and discussion, Ash. Uh, We will be back after a brief break to talk to Andrea and Shannon about their project. See you in a moment. Hi there, I'm Lysander Marquez, and I'm one of the producers on this show. I'm so glad you're enjoying this episode. If you're interested in learning more about the Flyover Summit's Flyover Fictions, I invite you to keep an ear out for the last episode in this series, featuring another collaboration between artists and scientists. And now, back to this episode of Tech Refactored. And we are back. And for the next section of this podcast, we're going to be bringing Shannon and Andrea into the discussion to talk about their collaboration. 
Shannon Bartlett Hunt is a professor and the department chair in the Department of Civil and Environmental Engineering here at the University of Nebraska. She is an environmental engineer whose work focuses on the occurrence and effects of contaminated agricultural systems. And Andrea Gonzalez Garan is a designer with a background in architecture and a strong focus in editorial innovation, experimental publishing, physical and online platforms, and cross media formats. And her research focuses on spatial politics, infrastructure, and landscape in a playful manner. So if we can uh, just start, what, what did you think when Ash contacted each of you and asked you to participate in this project? I was scared, but excited about the opportunity. So being an engineer, I don't feel like I do a lot of creative things. I do research, but it doesn't necessarily feel like it's exercising any muscles of creativity. So this was a really cool opportunity to talk about my research with someone and then help interpret and give some input on their sort of creative, you know, products that flowed from that kind of basic research that I do. Yeah. On my side, I think I was also very scared. Like first it was a very challenging question, like the topic about the rural and the urban and like nature and just think with a scientist is something that I had never done before. Uh, also quite excited and um, yeah I think I was also very curious to some to some extent because it was really yeah as as I said I think as the same as Shannon I was like I am a designer slash architect I live in my bubble of yeah my interests and like also my collaborators and the people who I reach to and i I've never interchanged anything for example with a scientist so I also was like I don't know what kind of conversation can we have, you know? So that was like really helpful to be very open on my side to be like, okay, let's just like share and like see what we have to talk about. But also on another side, it was quite challenging because I really didn't have the tools nor the expertise to most of the things that Shannon was sharing with me to understand them basically. So as uh, you got into the project, what did you initially expect your respective roles in the project to be? And as uh, the collaboration went along, how did that evolve and change? And perhaps if in thinking about this, the, the substance of the project, what your understanding of the project was, how that changed and uh, what you brought to it changed? Yeah, great question. I think initially... I came in thinking that my role was to explain my research, answer technical questions, and give background information. I think over time, what we developed was more of a iterative collaboration, which was really great. So it was awesome from just our initial conversations to see what Andrea produced and then to be able to provide some input or feedback on that and help shape it as it went along was really exciting. I think, can I continue on that? Like, yes, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Taking on, taking on that for me. Yeah. It it was, it came as this very big challenge or like big question 
of like very big topics also science nature environment uh, like the topics that Shannon is dealing with and that was really blocking also to to some to some extent like for me it was very difficult in in the beginning to also understand what I what was I doing because before all my previous kind of work even if it's like in a very speculative territory always has some like it has something to do somehow like it's asked by someone or it goes somewhere and this for me was really like you know there was so much freedom of yeah you really can do whatever you can do you know like an image or a book or you can do a story or so that became for me like a huge kind of yeah like it was it was very difficult to 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 grasp as Shannon said then our conversations were so productive in some sense like we started to just like share and it was more a storytelling process where Shannon would tell me in the beginning things and then I would reflect on them and connect them with things that I was worried about so I don't know other more abstract ideas that maybe we can get into later so then this kind of the conversation itself became the project to some extent or this this is something that I realized later like she was kind of giving me stories from her end and then I was like taking these stories and turning them into visual outputs some of them were more uh, successful some of them were more abstract I also didn't really know what I was doing in some ways some of them are really like an experiment in in some way and then the final work was like we came to this idea of like more like a manifesto or like sp speaking about a reality that is called flash which could contain a lot of elements that we developed in the conversation so i thought that I was doing something different in the beginning that we were like driving towards i don't know making a specific not even product, but like a specific object of design or platform or idea. And then in the end, the, the, just like the interchange was the story that we kind of gave shape to. So that was quite interesting, I think, in terms of a process. Also, it's something that when I look at it now, we are editing it to be able to share it. And um, there's parts of it that I don't really know where they are going somehow. There are parts of this work that are, maybe connected to things that I will develop in the future. I don't know for you, Shannon, if there's... I was feeling also like, I don't know if Shannon is getting any inspiration for this, from this because I'm just like, we're just like saying, you know, like inventing a kind of parallel reality. But uh, yeah, I think the things that kind of that loop that I took back was just how these sort of dry facts of science, right? So I look at contaminants in the environment and, and measure them but how that can be sort of reimagined and help people think about issues that they're concerned about, right? Our health, the environment, the quality of our environment that we live in. So it was really amazing to see what was produced. And then for me to also think about, okay, how can I, as a scientist, think about how people, like what the questions they have like this that are not necessarily science-based questions, but is there something I can contribute to those conversations? Andrea, you uh, used the, the name of the project Flush, which is a uh, perhaps the most evocative, I think, of the various project names from the Flyover Summit. I, I have to ask, which one of you came up with the, the name Flush for the project? And 
I'll, I'll just ask why and how, how does that communicate what the project is about? That was all Andrea. <laughs> yeah, I think I, when, now that we are speaking about it, it's really interesting when I'm reflecting on how the project was shaped in terms of, I, I, I feel like the project is basically a story, like a visual and textual story, which intertwines facts from F Shannon's research and also images, like in the literal sense and in the figurative sense, like images that help sense these facts in a way that are more or less entangled with think preoccupations that come from my discipline. So like maybe more like how do we live, uh, um, yeah, things about how do we sense our environment or just like how do we understand infrastructures or, or things that come from my side. So flash, I think is literally, if you think about the word, is basically, you know, like Shannon is speaking about basically how toxics that are in our, like the cycle of toxics that are in our environment somehow as uh, like to wrap it up, where do they come from and where do they go and where are they basically? And that's, that's a whole thing. And for me, this image of, yeah, you know, like Shannon is literally taking pieces of water and saying, okay, there's this amount of antibiotics here and this amount of these steroids here. This for me was like, yeah, this is telling a story that is like much beyond, that goes to a scale that is beyond this piece of water. And that was our conversation. So then I had the question of, yeah, like everything, yeah, like everything that is in water is telling a larger story, but we also don't really see it. So like there was this idea of transparency and flash is for me is kind of the act where everything starts. Because basically nothing starts anywhere because it's all a cycle because water is cyclical. But like flashes, you know, like this very stupid gesture that we all do every day, which is like flash the. You say it like that, no? You flash the toilet. So it was very simple. If you would put a title that explains why this gesture is so meaningful, is maybe the most public thing that you do in your house, even if you don't think about it. Flashing is literally what starts the journey of the chemicals that are in your body to the world. And that's so it was, it came from there. Also, I think, yeah, the project at some point needed, like we had several meetings. So <laughs> we had like a specific kind of, I don't know, we were having, let's say like three, four or five meetings or whatever. And then at some point it was also this thing of, okay, you have to convey, you know, <laughs> so then putting a title to things sometimes helps a lot to say, okay, flash a reality that we are describing. And then this reality has this condition. And uh, yeah. So, so Shannon, um, the, the, this title is in a sense really describing your work. I, I have to ask, what was your immediate response when uh, you heard Andrea suggest the title that captures the essence of your work is, is flush? What was your response there? And how, how has it changed? This entire process changed how you think about your work? No, I thought it was perfect. And I think it really is this, it's an, it's an action, right? And so I liked that it, it represents a, an action that we take that we do without thinking. But as Andrea mentioned, because we, as humans, we consume, we use chemicals, right? We use them for medication. We use them in our, you know, things we apply to our bodies, they're in our clothing. 
And then also my work deals a lot with the chemicals that we administer to animals. We, when we raise animals for meat production, we give them hormones and we give them antibiotics for growth. And so we sort of do all those things. And I don't think we always connect them with the waste that we produce and how those chemicals are in that waste. And then the effects that they can have on other organisms in the environment, like fish when they're released. And so I really liked how it kind of was a word that encompassed that act of release that, but also it's an action that we take, but we don't really think about the consequences. So the entire project happened during the the course of the pandemic. And I, I, I wonder, Shannon, whether you're, you will, you'll cringe at this uh, characterization, but in, in a sense, the, the pandemic, it's not chemical, but we've got a virus that's permeating our ecosystem and our bodies. How has the pandemic, how did the pandemic affect your approach to and thinking about this project? And perhaps did the project affect how you have thought about and experienced the pandemic at all? I guess at one level, it's super relevant because as part of this pandemic, I started to do more work actually with detecting COVID in wastewater, which again is coming from all of us flushing our waste. And if you do have COVID, you you shed the virus in your wastewater and people are using that to predict, you know, COVID transmission in communities. So it, it was very, very relevant from a direct sense. I think also just the pandemic was so disruptive to everything that it sometimes disruption sort of makes you just think about or be open to thinking about things in a new way or forces you to think about things in a new way. So I think that was also kind of a connector as well, right? We did this thing that definitely drew me out of my comfort zone in a time when we were all sort of out of our comfort zone. Yeah. Now, I think like that, what what, you, what Shannon said actually was the entering point for me uh, to the project was this anecdote of how um, water basically was containing indicators of COVID and how this was a tool that was used to predict if a na- whole neighborhood had COVID or if what was the kind of territorial affection of the virus. And uh, this is the anecdote that um, Ash and Stephanie told me to explain me in brief what are the superpowers of the work of people like Shannon. And that also, I think COVID in general, COVID in general has the has had the ability to be, make transparent a sense of how or our bodies are connected to other bodies, let's say, and what infrastructure in a kind of larger understanding of this term plays a role on this. So I think that was for me personally something that that was as a ground for the thought that we developed or like for the research we developed. And we didn't directly respond to to the ideas of pandemic or other kind of things that implications of the pandemic, but I think we did respond or we did tackle some notions that are, I think, on the table right now about hygiene, what are the limits of the human body, how, how, what does it mean like to take care of others and other species and what is like this kind of ecological 
ecological, ecological consciousness that we are developing now. And I feel that it's also very influenced by how COVID makes this really apparent somehow. But this is also, of course, I think it's very difficult to reflect on your current situation when you are in a moment also, when you're in a situation, in a pandemic or in a crisis or whatever, it's also very difficult to see how this is shaping you. Well, uh, speaking in terms of how this uh, will shape you, th this collaboration, what will you take from it in your work moving forward? How, how, has, it changed about, how has it changed how you think about uh, your own work? For me, it definitely reinforced that other conversations outside of science that scientific knowledge should be part of. And I think that was really great to see that the, you know, the things that feel very focused on a specific scientific question have these broader implications. And so how can I, as a person who does science, try to help in those conversations or contribute to those conversations. I hadn't really thought about that before, but I think that's really important. And I think we need more conversations like that where we're taking information that's coming from science, but really applying it to these bigger questions that Andrea addresses. For me, I, I think, I mean, it's the same. I think we just like had an encounter that was very... Uh, the first time for both of us maybe to collaborate with someone that is from let's say like a very different discipline in my case also like I also have this take of first time I start to see how I can have a conversation with a scientist which is something that I'm not really close to in any other parts of my practice which is yeah it, it's been like also how can I open the tools that I know, the expertise that I have, and like the preoccupations I have to form part of a larger conversation. And then I don't know if this, if this can be said, but for me, because I am, a, <laughs> I am trained as an architect. And this, this means that I had like a very, very long training, like eight years uh, in the school of architecture. And then I deconstructed that training by entering other disciplines and also working with architecture in different ways. I now have a kind of view on the role of architecture in also making things not transparent in the sense that we are working with them in flash, like in having a view of how cities should put everything that is non-human below the earth and uh, how architecture and urbanism are very away from ecological concerns. And okay, this is an anecdote of what happened when we shared this project, that we shared this project in a symposium summit. I don't know how you call it, but like a kind of online conference, like Zoom, a myriad of Zoom where there are many, many Zoom heads in the multiverse. And uh, we had like amazing, we shared like a draft version of this. And then we had like amazing responses from some, some people who were there. And then we had like the worst of the responses that you can get from some men, some, some kind of guy, like mysterious guy that was like, this is bullshit. What you have to do is to take action. Young people are all like, cannot be kind of drawn into speculation. Uh, speculation is bad. You have to take action. You know, this kind of really aggressive response to this project, which was also really, yeah, in a very embryonic 
phase, you know, I was very insecure also about the project because I've never done that, that before. And then I somehow, I think we responded very well. I personally was very happy with my response, which was like, look, this is where I stand. This is what I believe. And I work from here and I hear you. I understand like uh, action should be taken, but you cannot say that I'm not because they were like, this guy was saying that we, you are not, you know, you are not, if you're polite, you're not angry. And I was like, yeah, I, this, I know this is urgent, but I don't think that the only way to be angry is being unpolite to others. And then long story short, this person happened to be one of the founders of Archigram, which is one of the main, Archigram is this kind of speculative architecture group that was one of my main references when I was studying architecture. Like, I don't know how many times I have copied their drawings and I don't know how much they have influenced my way of thinking about what speculation in architecture and in design can make. And that these kind of, you know, like your own kind of, let's say, parents in are telling you that you're doing everything wrong. I was like, okay, then I'm doing everything right, you know? <laughs> so it was really iconic. I don't know, for, for me, it was really meaningful. Like, Shannon, we, I, I think I never shared this with you, but this was the guy who invented penicillin comes to you and tells you, like, you're doing everything wrong, and you're like, yeah. <laughs> and I, yeah, I was going to say, I think that was, a, that was a really interesting experience. And I agree, Andrea, Andrea handled it more than I did. I was sitting there thinking, what am I doing? <laughs> but she was awesome. But also, they didn't necessarily shift his thinking, but I think he softened what he was saying after he listened to your points. And that was kind of neat to see, right? Because I do 100% agree with you. These situations and you know some of the things we're doing in the environment and policies they're maddening right they're we do these crazy things and but sometimes just having rage doesn't get you anywhere you know so i think what you were trying to provide is some nuance to that situation or how can you be more constructive and trying to push back on some of these things and how can speculation like lead people to think about these things in a different way. And so to me, that was really cool because it did, he did keep, you know, going on and on, but I do feel like he started to listen to what you were saying. So that was neat. And now it's really cool to know that that was, yeah, that sort of senior he person. Was boss. Yeah. What a, <laughs> I have copied his drawings. I have literally oh. seen his drawings like 1 million times. <laughs> like this is my you know and then he's like telling you like you're doing everything wrong and it's like you have been 60 years of your life making a speculative architecture you know? right. <laughs> well and to me too anytime you get a a strong reaction you've impacted <laughs> someone right like like mm -hmm. felt enough about the topic to to have that reaction so it was it, it's uh in some ways the purpose of this sort of collaboration and this sort of initiative to change how people think and to bring different disciplines together because as you said shannon there, there's incredible value to thinking as a scientist how do you communicate and share your ideas outside of your narrow specialty community and how do those ideas influence the art and the, the ways that 
we as a ecosystem of people think about the world. So good, good job is what I'll, I'll say uh, to all of that. <laughs> we unfortunately need to wrap up our discussion now, but thank you, Andrea. Thank you, Shannon, for joining us and uh, talking. And thank you as well to Ash for having joined us in the first part of uh, the discussion. If you are interested in learning more, uh, as we uh, mentioned at the top of uh, the episode, you can go to uh, flyoversummit.org to uh, see more of the projects that were uh, brought together for this uh, initiative. And thank you, as always, to you, our listeners. I've been your host, Gus Hurwitz. We're glad that you joined us for this episode of Tech Refactored. This is one of the three-part series that we are doing on the Flyover Summit. If you want to learn more about what we're doing here at the Nebraska Governance and Technology Center or submit an idea for a future episode, you can go to our website at ngtc.unl.edu or you can follow us on Twitter at UNL underscore NGTC. If you enjoyed the show, please don't forget to leave us a rating and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Our show is produced by Elspeth Magilton and Lysander Marquez and Colin McCarthy created and recorded our theme music. This podcast is part of the Menard Governance and Technology Programming Series. Until next time, keep them toilets flushing. <laughs>